it's Romans 15 again, and I'm doing a series at my church on purpose, and it's a great series to do in June because it's graduation season, and let's face it, school can give you knowledge, but it cannot give you direction. And so today on Romans 15, we're going to talk about purpose and how Paul shares elements of his life that can help empower you to make sense of your life and what God wants you to do. Welcome to The Deep Dive. The Deep Dive Bible Study, a weekly Bible study on youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Let me see if I can get that. There we go. Make sure that you're subscribing. Make sure you're liking the video and make sure that you are sharing the content. It is season five, episode 30 of the Deep Dive Bible Study. Can you believe we're getting close to the end of Romans? I'm kind of going to be really, really sad to see this book go, but we're in Romans chapter 15 and uh, we left off at verse... Uh, 16 last week, and then, no, like three weeks ago, and now we're going to pick it up on verse 17. But I just ask for one favor, like, share, subscribe. That's all I ask. Please do so. Help me send the message out. Get this channel built up so that more people can be edified in Christ Jesus and live purposeful lives. Romans chapter 15, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. Thank you that you have given me this opportunity to share it, and I pray that I will say what you want said, and Lord, that your people will hear and grow in Christ. And everybody listening, watching said, amen. God bless you. Let's get into it. I like to tie the deep end content to the deep dive content. I really do because I think they do go hand in hand. Again, the elements of this channel, culture and scripture, the great preacher, Hayden Robinson's Hayden Spurgeon, right? Charles Hayden Spurgeon, sorry. He held the Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. We got to know what's going on in the world. We got to know what God says in his word. That's how we are supposed to live. And I think that in the month of June, when everybody's celebrating pride and identity, <clears throat> one of the under lying reasons, one of the unseen reasons why everybody needs pride in themselves or in their identity is because they lack meaningful purpose. If you go to Google and you type in finding my, and you just leave it at finding my, you will see that the first suggested fill in the blank on Google is finding my roots, which is a television series. Then finding myself quotes, finding myself, finding my purpose, finding my why. So one, two, three, four out of the top five suggested searches on Google uh, for searching is to do with your purpose. What are you here for? The best-selling nonfiction book of all time outside of the Bible is The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren in Saddleback Church down out in Lake Forest, California. Why did that, church, why did that book take off? Because people need purpose. People need to know why they exist. What are you here for? And, and that's what we're going to talk about in today's content. And I'm really energized for today's content. And I hope that it really brings meaning and fulfillment into your life because you do have a purpose. And it's important to understand how do we unpack that through the scripture. So let's get into what it meant. Yes, Romans chapter 15. Let's read together. In Christ Jesus... I then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul is talking about himself. And let me get right to the skinny, okay? Right to the straight dope, right to the nitty gritty. Uh, I love the end of Paul's letters. The reason why is because at the end of the letters of Paul, we we get a little bit of an insight into the man. We get a little bit of an insight into who this guy is and how did he live out his personal life. You know, the last chapter of Romans is going to be all salutations with a little bit of edification at the end of the chapter. But, But the last part of chapter 15 is him kind of unpacking some of his own personal realities. And I look at this segment and I say, this is Paul addressing how to stay in sound mind and in bold heart in the purposes that God has shaped you for. How to stay in sound mind and bold heart in the purposes that God has shaped you for. Are you at a place where you feel you're floundering through life or you're just confused about what you're made for or you may have tried this venture in life and it failed miserably and you're thinking, what do I do now? And I said this to my church in the first week of our series on purpose. I want to say it to you, Paul had two 180 degree turns in life. The first 180 degree turn was that he went from being devout Jew to devout Christian. He wanted to persecute Christians and then he wanted to proclaim Christ. That's a 180 degree turn. God did that. God supernaturally sent Jesus down to earth. Jesus blinded Paul three days. We all know that story, right? He comes to Christ, he awakens to the gospel, and he turns on fire for Christ. That was his first 180-degree turn. Now, you could say that everything that Paul was planning to do up to that point in life was nullified in Acts chapter 9. And if you put yourself in his shoes, you you must have had moments where he thought, wow, what was all that Judaism study for? What was all that legalistic righteousness for? You know, the pharisaical school of education. What was all that for? He could have probably moaned about that quote unquote failure or unexpected collapse of his plans in life. Then he has another one, and this is the less noted one, but it's also a very important one. He travels the world for about 20 years with several ministry partners bringing the gospel to all the major metropolitan cities of the first century in ancient Rome. And then God allows him to be arrested and thrown in prison, and he will die in prison. He will be, his head will be cut off at the behest of Emperor Nero in about AD 64. And so the man who wants to travel can no longer travel. 180 degree turn now, just stopped in his tracks. No opportunity for ministry in the way that he wanted to do ministry. And so you have to think that maybe while he was in prison, he wrestled with some thoughts of what do I do now with my life? Like what now? Maybe all that traveling, oh, it was wasted. Or maybe I just had the wrong idea. Or maybe God has given up on me. The answer is 100% no. And what we see in the Apostle Paul is God will leverage his incredible, intense study of Judaism and the Old Testament and his time in prison to give us the letters of the New Testament, because most of them, or not most, but many of them are written from prison, so that he can unpack Jesus Christ through the lens of the Old Testament scriptures. So what does he study in Judaism? The Old Testament scriptures. What does he do in prison? He has time to write. 
And God takes two radical changes in his life where he seemed to have failed in his purposes or his plans. And God puts them together to give him this world-changing mission that I'm sure he wasn't aware of at the time when he's writing Romans, when he's writing First and Second Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and these letters. I'm sure he's thinking these are not going to go very far than, than the books, than, than the churches that I'm writing them to. But now they are enshrined in Holy Scripture and they bless our hearts to this day. In fact, we're reading one right now, right? And here's the thing. Paul had come to a soundness of mind and a boldness of heart that no matter what his plans were that may have failed or been upended, that God was still going to use it. And you can get that too. So what was he talking about here when, when he says, I'm proud of my work for God? It, mean, it means that he knows that he's got a work for God that he can be proud of and boast in. And then notice the next qualifier. I, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the gospel to the Gentiles by word and deed. So here's another thing that he knew. He knew that there was a specific call in his life, bringing the gospel to non-Jews. And he says, I'm not going to speak about anything other than that. This is my assignment. And he's also talking about the fact that the power of God was at work. The Holy Spirit led him through this purpose. And he talks about the fact that he had fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Like, think about this. He's close probably to the end of his life, and he's thinking, I did it. I did what God gave me to do. That's where you can get. You can get there. But it, it takes time. It takes a lot of ups and downs. It takes a lot of 180-degree shifts. It takes a lot of failures and restarts to get there. But Paul did it. You can do it. And I think about this passage, and I love this portion of Scripture in Romans 15 because it's not heavy on doctrine, but it is definitely heavy on implication and practicality. So, so let's go on to this next passage because it ties to verse 20. He's talking about the fact that he was, it was his ambition that he wanted to bring the gospel where Christ had not yet been preached. That was Paul's mission. He knew that that's what God called him to do. I don't want to go plant churches where there already are churches. I want to go where there's no churches and plant churches there. And then he says this. Look at the next verse, verse 21. But as it is written, those who have, been, who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, this is really cool. And the Lord opened my eyes here to verse 21. He's quoting scripture here. And, you know, Paul quotes scripture. That's nothing new. Of course, he quotes scripture all the time. He's got that Judaism background, that heavy study in the scriptures, right? But this time he's quoting scripture in light of his purpose. Did you see it? He's saying, I want to bring the gospel where no one's ever brought it before, as it is written. Because remember what the Bible says is that those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Very, very cool what he does here. He says, my purpose is tied to ancient purposes of God in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. My purposes are not tied, listen to this very carefully, to what I want to do, to what I believe I'm gifted to do, to what I'm passionate about. My purposes are shaped and baptized and sold out to what God has already declared in his word from ancient times as to what he wants to do. Do you know how you identify your calling? This is so big. Get a hold of what God is doing in the world and partner with it. Get a hold of what God is up to. So many people want God to bless their plans. No. You find out what, God is, what, what plans God is blessing and do those. You find out what God is up to and do those. So Paul says, remember in Isaiah, and I think he quotes from Isaiah 52. Yeah. In Isaiah 52 is what he's, he's quoting here, that, that those who have not been hurt, seen will, will, 
have not have not been told the gospel will see, and those who have not heard, they will understand. I want to be on that mission because that is something that God put in his word. And whatever he's put in his word is fixed, is firm, it's settled in the heavens, right? That's what the scripture says. The Bible is not vague as to what God is up to. So what is God up to? Well, you could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And he's up to creating humans in his image to reflect his glory, to subdue and rule over creation. Then after Genesis chapter three, he's up to saving mankind from sin, from the bondage of decay, from the curse of, the, of, of disobedience. And then he's in the business of saving slaves out of Egypt. He's in the business of establishing laws that lead to human flourishing. And then he's in the business of bringing his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. And, and then he's bringing, then he's up in the, in the New Testament. He's in the business of bringing that message to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are God's plans. My question to you is, are your plans aligned with his plans? Now, that doesn't mean you have to go be a missionary, although that's a blessing to be. But it does mean you take what you do and you align it with what God is already up to. So if you're a plumber, you plumb in such a way that it brings the message of Jesus wherever you go. Not by, maybe not by word, but maybe by deed, as Paul says earlier in the chapter already. We just talked about that. You got to get involved in what God is doing because so many people want God to get involved in what they're doing and they're disappointed because God tends to be God and he doesn't do what you're doing. He does what he's doing, but he wants you to be an integral part of it. Got it? There's a big difference. We're going to talk about it and why it matters in just a moment. But anyway. Let's get to verse 22. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because I'm so busy going where there's nobody who has heard Christ. Rome, he's, he's writing to the Romans and they already know Christ. So, so he's like, I can't go to you yet because I know that my calling is not to go to, where pla to places where they've already heard of Christ. But now, verse 23, since I no longer have any room in, for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Oh, this is there's so much in, this, in these three verses. I, I, I just, I am enjoying teaching this section. Notice first that Paul uh, sees the end of his ministry. Look at this, verse 23. Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, can we just stop there for a second and, and say something that people don't understand, but it's true? There is an end to your ministry. There is an end to your purpose. See, your purpose doesn't last forever because you don't last forever, at least on this earth. I mean, there's a purpose to glorify God in the next life. We get that. But on this earth, there's an end to ministry. Firstly, let me say this. There's, a, there's an end to the ministry of an area. And I do believe this. I, Jesus talked about this. When they don't listen anymore, walk away. Like when they just keep disrespecting the word. And he, Jesus talks about don't cast your pearls before swine. Give the dogs what is sacred, right? He's talking about the fact that you don't want to waste your time where there's no fruitfulness in ministry. And likewise, I think that in large part, there's a lot of areas in the cultural West where Gospel ministry needs to move on and go to unreached people groups. Really, it, it does need to happen because our culture in the West has been so blessed and saturated by gospel witness. We've taken it for granted, and, and that shifted to calling it outdated, and now that has shifted to calling it dangerous. I mean, that's where the cultural West is. That's what we talk about on the deep end all the time. So maybe it's time for us to say and I'm not saying whole scale, give up on America or give up on the West. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that maybe, maybe it's time to stop wasting our time and our energy and our, and our efforts on people who just refuse to hear and go to the places where they will. 
be involved in a church where they're going out of this country, where they're getting you out of this country, where, where you're going to unreached places and bringing the gospel to unreached people groups. Be a part of that in short-term missions, maybe long-term missions, I don't know, or just in giving and in supporting. Because there is an end. There is an end to ministry in an area. Secondly, uh, sometimes, and no, not sometimes, all the time, there is an end to a person's personal ministry. <laughs> your life comes to an end. Your leader's life comes to an end. Your pastor's life comes to an end. Like You cannot tie your heart to a particular style of preaching or preacher or leader or mentor. They will die. You can appreciate them for what they put into your life and, 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 and invest it in your life, but you cannot hold on to them forever. They will die. So leaders, leaders have an expiration date. Then lastly, this thought. Sometimes your ministry in an area comes to an end and, and it moves on to a different area. Sometimes a pastor has to move on to a different church. Not that I'm going anywhere, but sometimes a church has to move to a different town. Sometimes, you know, a person has to come to a church at a season where the church is small because they're good with small churches and then the church gets too big for their ministry. So they got to go to another church where it's small because that's their gift. That's their, that's their ministry style. That's okay. There is an expiration date to ministry. Now, I'm not encouraging you to leave your church. Lord knows I don't want that to happen. But I am encouraging to just not get so worked up as to why people come and go. When people leave my church, and, and, and I'm talking about the people that leave on good terms. There's always people that leave churches on bad terms. But there's a lot of times, and it goes way under the radar, of when people leave <clears throat> on good terms. The reason why it goes under the radar is because they don't leave complaining and they don't call people up and they don't try to you know undermine a leadership of the church because they're disgruntled. The reason why it goes under the radar is because they leave well. Everybody's very happy for them and it's a blessed movement and, and, and there's no, because gossip tends to spread far more than celebration. Let's just be honest. But anyway, when people leave our church on a good on good terms and they've been very helpful like to our church for that season that they were in, I always tell them, I always say, here's the deal. We're in the harvest field of God and you're going down that row now and we're going to continue down our row and I'll see you in the barn. I always say that. I'll, I'll see you in the barn, meaning when the harvest season is over, we're all going back to the barn. That's, that's, that's how it is in, in ministry. You're not going to have eternal friends on earth. You'll have eternal friends in heaven, but right now you have temporary friends. Even the best of friends on earth are temporary because everybody dies and a lot of people move and seasons change. And that's okay. So I just think that it's an important qualifier here to understand that ministry does have an expiration date. Your time on this earth has an expiration date and you will not last forever and people will not last forever. Keep your eyes on what God has for you to do right now and do it to the best of your ability until he says enough. And you say, well, how do I know? Well, Paul knew because he said, this is my calling to preach the gospel where nobody's heard, but now everybody's heard, or at least the gospel is so saturated in this area, I'm gonna to go to Spain. That's where he's gonna that's where he's gonna talk about here uh, later on. So let's talk about verse 24 for just one more second because I, it's an, another important text here. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Can I just underline this, <laughs> these two sections? There is enjoyment to be had in ministry. And there is enjoyment in the company of ministry. And there is help to be had on your journeys in ministry. And 
lest you believe I'm only talking to pastors or ministries, ministry leaders here. I'm talking to all Christians because all Christians are called to be servants and servants service to Christ is ministry. And we need help. And, and Paul, so, so open here, so open-hearted. He knows he hasn't arrived and he admits he hasn't arrived. I need some refreshment. I need some, some company. <laughs> I, need, I need to know you're with me. You're here. And this is, this is really powerful stuff because we've got a serious mental health crisis in our country. Do you know why we have a mental health crisis in our country? Because we have an idolatry of individuality. We have an idolatry of individuality wherein everybody wants to be their own identity, their own person, their own whatever, their own being. And that being is usually rooted in whatever they feel, whatever they think, whatever they believe inside their heads. And sometimes whatever they believe is really just the, the second or third hand thoughts of what other people believe. And so they have all this confusion inside of their heads about who they are. And so they want to find fulfillment, find peace. So they want to be someone that they think they should be. And, and they keep jumping around. And this is the pronoun problem right now in our country. Everybody's jumping around with pronouns. Not everybody, but these, these very confused children. My pronouns are he, they, my problem pronouns are they, them, my pronouns are Zerzim. I mean, all these crazy things happening in our country right now. But, but really what it is, is there's a mental health crisis because there's an idolatry of identity. There's an idolatry of individuality. You're not an individual. And I am not either. I am the result of my parents. I'm the result of my upbringing. I'm the result of those who I was raised with, my sisters. I'm the result of my uh, 22 almost year marriage to my wife. I'm the result of the relationships that I've had with the kids that we produced. I'm, a re- I'm the result of my closest friends in ministry and in life. Those people have impacted me, shaped me, and made me who I am. I am not an individual. I am the fruit of all the relationship structures around my life, and so are you. And if you insist on following this idolatry of individuality in this world, you will confuse yourself because everything up in his place, everything up in your heart is darkness. We are born in darkness. We are born confused. We are born hardened in hearts. We are born lost. And if we're looking in, this is the popular mantras of our age, the Oprah Winfrey doctrine, the Dr. Phil doctrine, the um, Tony Robbins doctrine. Look within, look within, look within. Man, I look within and I just see garbage. I just see sin. I just see a heart that needs redemption. And, and this is so important because this is why we have a mental health crisis. People are told endlessly to look within and they see what's inside and they don't want to reconcile the fact that it needs help. They're actually, they're actually <clears throat> encouraged to celebrate whatever's inside. And whatever's inside is messy and nasty and not good. And it goes for me as well as it is for you and every other Christian out there. Even Paul the Apostle says, I know that in me there is no good thing. I need Christ. I need Christ to make me new, redeem me, change me. And this idolatry of individuality, let us not forget Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And then, and then this idea of taking a break to be with friends. I need to take a break and be with you. Can I ask you a question to break out of the idolatry of individuality? Do you ever just hang out with friends? Um, the, the, the stats on friendship, by the way, have plummeted over the last 30, 40 years. People used to have 10 plus friends. Now they have, hardly have two or one. I think it's like 10% of the population says they have no friends. Back in 1992, I think the number was like 1% of the population. So there's this real famine of friendship, a real famine of fellowship. And people need it. We need friends. We need people to hang with Christ himself did not decide to do ministry alone. He took 12 friends with him. He brought them to the, I always think about this, he brought them to the wedding of Cana, not to perform a miracle, 
not to begin his ministry because at the wedding of Cana, he tells Mary, my time has not yet come. He brings his 12 friends with him just to have a good friend, good time with friends, to fellowship. <clears throat> you need breaks. You need vacations. You need Sabbath. I mentioned Rick Warren earlier, and I love this three uh, line phrase that he talks about to stay mentally healthy. He says, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. So divert daily means put your work away. Put your work away. And he talks about how whenever he would come home from the office, he would take all of his worries symbolically and he would drop them in the little worry jar outside of his, <laughs> outside of his door and then he would go into the house and not bring the worries with him. So you've got to divert daily. Do you have a hobby? Do you have something that you do that, you, that has nothing to do with your work, right? Divert daily. Then withdraw weekly. That's the Sabbath rest. That's where you get away from work for a whole 24-hour period. The, the Jews, Orthodox Jews, still do this to this day. If you, go to, in, if you go to Israel today, Friday night it shuts down, Saturday night it opens back up. It's amazing how quiet the city and the areas become. So withdraw weekly where 24 hours you're doing nothing concerning your work and then abandon annually. That is vacate. Get away from your region. Get out of your area. Drive somewhere. Bring a tent with you if you can't afford a hotel. Go somewhere where you just abandon everything. And it's amazing how when you come back, you got fresh perspective. You know, there's a whole scientific study on the levels of cortisone in our brains and how if we just get out the stress levels the stress hormones come down, and when stress levels come down, creativity levels go up. And, and some of you need to recharge in your job right now by taking a break from your job. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive because we think if we stay hard at work in the job, we will, we will eventually get to that place where we're happy with the results. Not necessarily. There have been many times where my message for the weekend services at my church are not ready on Thursday afternoon when I, when I shut the door to my office and I go home. Many a time. And I just had to close the book, go home, be with my kids, be with my family, enjoy my wife, enjoy no work, and pick it up on Saturday morning. And it helps, and it's amazing how the brain being recharged from rest gives me creativity and ideas about how to address that text in a very hearable way for the people. And I would like to say that some of you, this is a great temptation for you. You want to be in it all the time because, unfortunately, you are a control freak and you cannot control everybody. You cannot even control your results. So you've got to withdraw. You've got to let go. You've got to put the work down and then let the stress level come down, the creativity level come back. You know, there's a, a principle of the law of diminishing returns. Like you, you can only do so much and then it stops getting productive. Withdraw, pick it back up later. And, and God will multiply your efforts on the backside. That's what Paul is exhibiting here. That's what he's talking about here. I need to be helped by enjoying your company. Totally spiritual. It's totally spiritual to hang with friends. How many of you right now, that was worth the price of admission to this podcast right now. By the way, subscribe if you aren't right now. <laughs> you, you've got to take a break with friends. It's totally, totally biblical. Let's go on. Verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Now, this offering that he's talking about here, it's very important. He talked about it with the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians 8. He says this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia in a severe test of affliction and their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. They gave... <clears throat> according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part of this relief for the saints, and not this, and, I'm sorry, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
So Paul's not talking about tithing here. He's talking about a gift that he was raising money for to bring to the saints in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was experiencing a famine. And he went to the Gentile churches, the Achaia churches, the Macedonia churches. Uh, so so um, uh, Corinth was in Achaia and the Macedonia churches were like Philippi and the, um, and the, uh, the poor areas of, uh, I think Thessalonica of ancient Greece. He goes to the rich area of Corinth. He goes to the poor areas of Macedonia. He re, and he asks everybody, "Listen, let's give, let's give to the saints in Jerusalem because they're going through a famine." And the poor saints of Macedonia give, and we find out through Romans that the Romans give. I mean, it's the Corinthians give, and so the the churches is it, the church is doing what the church does, helping and bringing relief to the places that need it. Why do I share this? Because he goes back here. He says, "I'm I'm still in that business." I'm going to bring this aid to the saints and I want you to be part of that and then I want you to hear about it uh, and that's why I'm going to pass through once it's done. It says in verse 27, he says, for they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. Now here's where I want to lean in. He says, the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings of who? Of Israel. There, that the gospel came through Israel. Jesus is a Jew. And here's a very important principle, friend, that if you get spiritual blessings from someone, you are obligated, according to the word of God, to bring material blessings back to them. That's the principle that Paul exercises throughout 2 Corinthians and here in Romans. That's what he's talking about. Spiritual blessings should produce a return in material blessings. This is why you tithe and you give to your church, your local church. Do not tithe to this channel. Do not tithe to the local church where you are fed the word of God. This channel is a vitamin B shot. I hope this channel is, uh, if this channel is part of your church experience at my church, well then yes, you tithe to our church. <laughs> but you don't tithe to this channel. You can support this channel, but that's above and beyond tithes. But the point is, is that your church fellowship, okay, where people are partnering together in the gospel, is a spiritual blessing to you. So my question, and Paul's question probably would be to you, are you pouring material blessing back in? Because it takes money to turn the lights on. It takes money to pay the electric bill. It takes money to pay the water bill. It takes money to pay the salaries of the staff. It takes money to produce ministry, to pay the mortgage of the building where you gather because you don't want to host people at your house, I'm sure, right? <laughs> it costs money to do ministry. So ministry blesses your life spiritually. You bring material blessing back to the house of God. And then God blesses you and rewards you for that because if you take care of his house, I believe 100%, he will take care of your house. Now, all this is important because there are so many Christians that fail to let this spirit of giving and, and receiving materialize in their lives. They take, they take, they take, they take from the church. And before you know it, you can go 20 years in and you haven't given a dime or you haven't at least even increased your giving to the church that God has planted you in. And you know what I have found in 22 plus years of public ministry, 24 plus years of public ministry. Many times it's the, <laughs> it's the heathens in the church that understand that the church should give better than the longtime Christians in the church. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cheap longtime Christians. They just never give, but they're, they love to come. They love to be a part of the church, but they just don't want to give. They just think that, that uh, the church shouldn't ask for money. That's rude. Well, who's paying for you to hear those things. Who's paying for your kids 
to get ministered in the gospel? Who's paying for that parking lot outside that you just parked? Who's paying for the air conditioning? Like seriously, heathens tell me they get this better than a lot of longtime cheap Christians. Now, not all Christians are cheap. There's just a select few of them. Please don't get offended. But there are a select few Christians who all they do ever is take, 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 take. And I'm telling you, <laughs> they're never going to really... Um, they're never going to really understand the blessing of being a part of the family of God until they break out of that spirit of, of, of poverty toward God and they turn into a generous giver. If you have received blessings spiritually, you must, you must return blessings materially. Tithe and support your church. Let's move on. Verse 28, it says this. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Let's get one thing straight. Look at this word completed right here. When I have completed, I need rest. Paul just got done saying, I need rest. I need time with you guys. You guys are going to bring refreshing to my spirit and I need friends and I need, I need to enjoy your company. But, but first, I got a job to do. Get the present job finished. That's what Paul is saying. Get the present job finished. Don't leave people on the lurch. Don't, here's, here's the opposite of a lack of friendship is where you are only about friendship. <laughs> and that, that is not good either. There's got to be a healthy balance. Work hard for the Lord and enjoy fellowship and community. There's some Christians, and this, this I've, I've experienced personally, where they just want to be in fellowship. We just want to fellowship. We just want to hang out. We just want to, we're just going to like know the people that we know and love the people that we love and go out and eat and, you know, fellowship with each other. Okay, I get it. We need fellowship. But are you, <laughs> some people are uh, uh, fellowshipaholics. They are addicted to fellowship and they never actually do anything. They never work hard. They never lift a finger. You, you've got to be in both, both fellowship and function so that God blesses you in your relationships with others and empowers you. You take those breaks, those mental recharge breaks, and then you are given to the ministry of God, whether that is in your marketplace work or in your church work, your church serving, or in your family or whatever, and you're giving yourself fully to that because you are recharged through fellowship and through Sabbath rest and on and on. Then verse 29, remember what he says here, look what he says. He says, I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now that's an interesting phrase because what he's saying is when we come together, there's a blessing. And that, this, um, that's expounded in uh, Psalm 133, where it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded a blessing life forevermore. And I love this. What is he saying? Where does God command a blessing? When brothers dwell in unity. In other words, when we are partnering together, when we are going out, like Jesus sent them out two by two, right? When we're going out in the name of Jesus to work the fields, to work the harvest fields, to put our hands to the plow and work and fellowshipping together in that work, there is a blessing commanded by God. And that's what Paul is saying here. If I can come to you on my way to the Spain, after I finish my job of raising relief money for the saints, I know I will be blessed just by being with you. Powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, and all this ties to your purpose because you cannot fulfill your purpose if you're, if you're burnt out. You cannot fulfill your purpose if you're out of gas. You cannot fulfill your purpose if you have no friends. You just can't. And these are parts of the, these are the ways in which God mixes together this purpose stew in our lives and brings us to <clears throat> a, a, a completed end. Let's get to verse 30. 
Verse 30, it says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. All right, now this one, I, I, I particularly love this phrase, this, this passage, because what is he saying? <laughs> He's saying, I need you to pray for me. And notice why. Why do I need to pray? Why do I need you to pray for me? That I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Uh, Paul, we know this from Acts chapter 20. Paul was facing grave threats on his life to go to Jerusalem. That's where Judea is. Judea is in Jerusalem is in Judea. And this this Jew, Paul the apostle, always had a heart for the unbelieving Jews. And he had a heart for the believing Jews who were struggling in Judea. And he knew he had already been arrested in the town a couple of chapters ago in Acts, like Acts, I forget, what were 25, 24. He's arrested, he's persecuted, he's a uh, uh, huge commotion. All of his countrymen turn on him. They are going to kill him. Some people took a vow not to eat or drink until he was dead. I mean, he, he faced some serious hate. But he wants to go back. <laughs> because he knows, like he says in Romans chapter one, that the gospel is first for the Jew. He, he still believes that he still lives that. And he knows, as he said in Romans chapter nine, 10 and 11, when we talked about that, that he would rather be cut off from Christ and his Jewish family get saved if, if that's what it took. Like this is a man who, his purpose was, what I'm saying is that you know that you find your purpose when you are willing to die for it. You, you find your purpose in the things that you're willing to die for. So <laughs> what are you willing to die for? If you're willing to die for your job, just make sure that your job is really <laughs> bringing glory to Christ. I'm willing to die for my kids. I'm willing to die for my wife. I'm willing to die for my close friends. I really am. I'm willing to die most importantly and first and foremost for testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't like to suffer. I wouldn't like to go to prison. And I definitely didn't want, I, do, I wouldn't want to be killed for it. But if I had to be killed for this, I would be killed for this. That's is that important? Is that important? Is my purpose is to proclaim Christ. And when the, or if the laws come down in this country where we can no longer do that, I will still do it. And I will proclaim it until my dying breath because that's my purpose. And that's how you find your purpose. What are you, what are you willing to die for? So pray. And then this, this other point, you know, strive together with me in prayers. That's why you need fellowship. Who can pray for you in your purpose? Who can help you find your purpose through prayer? Who can refresh you? Who can bring joy? by just being company to you. And, and I think that you can find your purpose through all of these means that Paul unpacks here in the second half of Romans 15. And you can break out of this mental health crisis that we are currently in in this country and live at peace and live knowing that the Lord has got a great purpose for your life. What it means. Let me unpack what it means, guys. This is so important. Um, Understanding my calling or my purpose, red light, green light, red light, meaning it's not I'm up to something and want God to be a big part of it. No, it is green light. God is up to something huge and I am a part of it. So what I talked about before, I say again now in this segment of the show, don't ask God to bless your plans. Discover what God is blessing and fully participate. What is God blessing? He is blessing the preaching of the gospel. What is God blessing? He is blessing um, monogamous marriages, man and woman, 
husband and wife, raising godly children, establishing churches throughout the world. What is God blessing? He's blessing the fellowship and the communion of the saints. He is blessing the witness of the church. Acts chapter 1, 8. This is the purpose of the church. You will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? They tell what they have seen and heard. That's what, the, that's what the disciples did. That's what they were supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. And I think about how Paul the apostle, once he was saved, he tells King Agrippa this in Acts chapter 26. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is what God gave me to do. I was saved by Christ to declare his name among the Gentiles, and I obeyed his vision, the heavenly vision. You've got you've to understand that there are earthly visions that you can pursue, but they're not necessarily heavenly visions. Get a hold of what God is doing. Don't ask God to bless your plans. Discover what God is blessing and fully participate. He's blessing the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk about embracing your place in God's purpose. So I, I want you to embrace your place. So where are you? Well, first off, you are his servant. Now, this next one, so huge. You can only do what he gives you to do. <laughs> oh, I hope you're listening here. You can only do what God has given you to do. And I, I cannot stress this enough. You cannot do what God has given someone else to do. Let's go to the Bible camp for a moment. John chapter 3. Jesus and his disciples, verse 22, went to the Judean countryside and remained there. And, were, and they were baptizing. John was also baptizing. By the way, John was in the Judean countryside first. We know that from John chapter 1. John the Baptist. He was baptizing. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all going to him. In other words, God, John, people are leaving your church and they're going to Jesus' church. And John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And then he goes on, you know that I told you I'm not the Christ. I was sent before him. So what is John saying? He's saying, I can only do what God gives me to do. It annihilates the idea that you can be whatever you dream. You can do whatever you believe in your heart you can do. You can be anything in the world. No, you cannot. That is not gospel truth. That is Disney Plus. So make sure you're spending time in God's word, getting rooted in the reality that he has shaped you, formed you, and gifted you for what he has given you to do. Not anything. And last thing, you only have so much time. So I only say this to say, stop looking at everybody else. Stop people watching. Stop saying, oh, what about them? What about that? There will always be someone more gifted than you. There will always be somebody more handsome or beautiful than you. There will always be somebody with better kids than you or a better job than you or a better house than you or a better opportunity than you. Disregard it. It has no bearing on what God has given you to do. Now, some of you are like, I get those three things. Okay, that's fine. Here's my problem. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So let me give you an aside. This is not really tied to the text, but I want to give you an aside from the biblical narrative. How do you find your place in God's purpose? Like some of you are like, I, I, I love it. I love what you're sharing, but I'm confused about what to do. I want to give you a couple of tips. Number one, look at who you are surrounded by. Who is around you? So again, scripture's record, scripture's narrative. 
Moses was in Egypt. David was uh, a younger brother to older brothers who were in the military. And only because he brought bread and cheese to them on the battlefield did he meet Goliath. Right, So he had older brothers that linked him up to that moment. Solomon was born in the capital of Israel with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he did make a lot of out, of out of that. Peter was a Galilean fisherman, and he was in an area in Galilee that was a very mixed bag. Galilee was very cosmopolitan because people came from all over the place and kind of intermingled with the Jews in Galilee. So Peter would have been very familiar with all the other cultures of the world because he was a Galilean, and, and God used that. So, so look, at, look at who is around you. Number two, look at what you have been given. What the great question from God to Abraham at the burning bush, what is in your hand? And the answer is a staff. The answer is a stick of wood. And it's almost like when I read that, I say, yeah, on the third day, God caused vegetation to sprout from the earth. Like God made that stick. The, the, the stick comes from a tree. The tree was made by God. Everything was made by the breath of God's mouth. God can do anything he wants with what he makes. So what has God been given? What, what, I'm saying, what has God put in your hand? David had a sling. Noah had a hammer. Moses had a staff. Peter had a boat. Paul had years of Judaism training so they could unpack the Old Testament for Gentiles who had not heard the word of God. I mean, beautiful. God will take what God has given you and use it. And then third, take inventory of your talents. Like, what can you do? And take also inventory of the opportunity to develop your talents. Maybe you just started in that job or that profession. Don't give up. Maybe you don't know what you're doing yet. Find your way. Maybe you're in a place where if you're, in, you're over in over your head, that's okay. Just <laughs> kick and swim and use your arms and get your head above water. And before you know, you're going to be swimming. I, I have learned throughout my life that I have never started anything being very good at it. <laughs> you develop talents. You develop gifts. Take inventory. Either of the gifts that you have developed because of your past experiences or the opportunities that you have to develop because you feel like you're inadequate for where you currently are. The one of the things that I share with my church on a regular basis is that one of my, you know, mean I would call it my menial job before I was in ministry was I used to um, wait tables. I was a, I was a waiter, and I worked for this restaurant where they made you memorize a large portion of <clears throat> specials, appetizers and dinner specials and even dessert specials, and you had to go to the table and say it from memory. And I used to have this little cheat sheet, this little book, but I would look at it and I would put it in my back pocket and then I would go and, and tell the table the specials from, from memory. And they were strangers and it was a new table like every five or every 20 minutes. And that, <clears throat> that taught me how to memorize a prepared speech and speak in front of strangers. Gee, where would God use that in my life? <laughs> He's using that right now. I remember when I first started this, this show, the deep end and the deep dive and, and, and this channel, man, I was so nervous the first couple of times. I was so like, I didn't know how to look at the camera. I felt kind of like self-conscious and it, it might not look like that in the old episodes. It might, maybe you're like, yeah, I saw you really struggled at the beginning. Yeah, anything that you start, you're bad at at first. It's okay. It's an opportunity to develop talent. And that's just an aside. I hope it helps you find your place in God's purposes because everything in your life has been given to you by God. Let's talk about why all this matters. So, all of this matters because new life in Christ is a gift from God to be discovered in duty and fulfillment. So often we want new life in Christ to stop with salvation and a ticket to heaven, but it doesn't. It doesn't stop there. It starts there. Your eternal security is fixed. Your ticket to heaven has been stamped. 
and Christ has brought new life into you. Your heart has been saved, changed, transformed. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your body. And now it's time to think, what is my duty? This is a very big absent um, ideal in our country. You, you've got a duty to fulfill. Lord, bring us back to John F. Kennedy. You know, our politicians today, they promise to do everything for us. They promise that the government is here to take down those bad people who are holding you back and lift you up and give you everything that you could possibly need. Can we get a John F. Kennedy somewhere saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country? Like, where did that go? It's gone. And I think this is also contributing to the mental health crisis because you're not meant to receive, receive, receive. You're meant to give and do and work. Give yourself to duty. Give yourself to responsibility. And, and that's really the episode, guys. That's, I'm summing it all up. But la, la, one last thing. One last thing, and I, I, I can't stress this enough. Stay humble. It's not about you. Stay, you're a servant. That, that, that great passage in Luke 17, verse 7. Well, if any one of you has a servant plowing and keeping sheep, and you say to him when he's coming in the field, would you say, come and recline at the table? Or would you not rather say, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No. So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We've only done what we're supposed to do. My friends, can we get back to this as Christians? Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not about accolades. Life is not about accolades. Accolades come and go. It really does matter what you achieve. It really does. Are you in the business of achieving or chasing accolades? And I think if you lay down the chase for accolades, you give yourself more fully to finding fulfillment in achievement. And you will achieve what God has purposed you to do and shaped you to do and given you to do. Amen. That is the, that is the talk tonight, guys. I hope it blesses you. Like, share, subscribe. Make sure you hit that like button. Why do I say like the video? Because I am self-conscious and I need accolades? No, because your likes actually help the algorithm in YouTube get this video out further than it currently goes. So wouldn't you like this video to be a pop-up suggestion to somebody else's algorithm on their YouTube channel? Like the video. That's why I ask for it. Subscribe, share the content. Support the channel if you can. Cash app, Tim Hatch Live. Like I said, don't tie to this channel. Please, please leave it owned. And I want to thank all of our monthly subscribers. You know who you are. I thank God for you guys. You are awesome. I will see you guys next Tuesday night for the deep end. YouTube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. God bless. Have a great night. <laughs>